going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. A happy Thursday. Glad to be back in the seat today. Did I miss anything? Anything at all? Nothing big happened yesterday. I'm pretty sure it was pretty pretty quiet around here. Listening in, I mean, Jody and I talked a little bit about the Be Brave game yesterday. It felt like a pretty good day. Then I turned on my computer and wept myself to sleep. Holy moly. What a, what a time to be alive. I keep saying that, but between what's been going on with the premier or with the prime minister's office and SNC Lavalin and then you have the Michael Cohen thing down in the US and you're just you're, uh, what a time to be alive having two major heads of state in in North America under investigation or having some very very damning things said about them who needs I was kind of half joking to myself about this as I was driving into work today. Who needs Russian interference when the leaders do all the dirty work themselves? Hey, caramba. Yeah, that'll definitely be a topic of conversation that we're going to get to through the course of the show today. David Aiken from Global News will join us after five o'clock. Uh, he's recently put together a little write up on globalnews.ca. I'll, I'll tweet it out a little later on in the show. Uh, talking all about the Justin Trudeau brand. But I also want to talk about, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, about the Liberal Party brand and where did they sit when all is said and done here? Because this could, in fact, be the worst case scenario imaginable for a party that is trying to gain re-election in just a few short months. Can you do it with a leader that is arguably being questioned on a whole lot of fronts right now? Or do you try to get rid of him now and try to get a leader in place in a couple of months? It's a lot of questions. So we're going to talk to David Aiken about that. We're also going to continue by uh, the over the course of the last couple of weeks with the Canada Games going on in Red Deer. I love being able to catch up with some of these young athletes who have been doing some amazing things. Can you imagine? It's hard for me to imagine winning one medal in a day. But imagine winning two gold medals all within the course of, I don't know, two or three hours. A young Calgary badminton player by the name of Austin Bauer will join us at 5.40 to talk about his day yesterday. And believe it or not, he's actually going to be back on the court a little bit later on today, hoping for a third gold medal. So we'll chat with him uh, a little later on in the show. We'll also chat with Global's Heidi Pearson in just a little while as well, about an hour or so from now. She put together a really great article on globalnews.ca about some of the new campaign finance rules that are in place here in Alberta heading into the provincial election. Will anybody be able to abide by them? Maybe. Question might be, are the resources actually there to police those rules? Or even beyond that, when will we find out whether the parties actually abided by said rules a lot of good questions we hope that heidi has a few of those answers for you we'll also chat uh jan reimer at the alberta council of women's shelters will join us after four o'clock a, a great report that I, I haven't been able to get into over the last couple of weeks but i wanted to get into it uh today to talk a little bit about the changing attitudes in albert uh, in alberta's men when it comes to gender equity and a little different than gender gender equality but the conversations being had and would you step in 
as the example, would you step in if you saw domestic abuse right in front of you? I'll share one of my stories from what I've seen in, in uh, actually my living downtown Calgary-ish. Uh, I think it was about six years ago. I'll share that story, and we'll talk to Jan Reimer about that survey after 4 o'clock. We're going to lead off the show with the king of talk. Charles Adler is going to join us in just a couple of minutes to give us his uh, insider-slash-outsider perspective on what is going on in the world of federal politics right now. He has that national voice, and I want to hear what he's hearing from across the country because as I've argued on this show more than once, is if we need to sell our story here in Alberta, we got to be telling the rest of the country. A lot of people question, well, what's the rest of the country say? Charles Adler is going to join us in a second to tell, you, tell us exactly that. If you've been at some point during the last couple of weeks gone, what is happening? And have your hand in your face, covering your eyes, closing your eyes, going, I can't believe this is happening. Just, just from a complete... Everybody should be accountable to them, to especially in, in the political world. Be accountable to your constituents, and yet that doesn't seem to be the case. Or maybe it is. I said the king of talk, Charles Adler, joining us now on the phone. Uh, Charles, as I get to flip the script on you, this is the first time that I get to be the host, and you get to answer my questions. This is going to yeah, be kind I'm of fun. I'm kind of nervous, uh, Joe. Uh, we've <laughs> never done this before. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I promise you that. <laughs> I want to know right off the bat, you've been at this a long time. Have you ever seen anything like this? Well, no, and the uh, ad scam is kind of the, the sort of mm -hmm. latest benchmark because I, I tend to believe that many people who listen to talk radio, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, um, it, it's tough. There's so many things going on in life to, to remember anything that went, you know, is more than five or, or 10 years old, and ad scam is now more than, more than 10 years old. Ad scam is what Yeesh. ushered in. Uh, the Harper government, uh, mm -hmm. he's been out of power. The Conservatives have been out of power for about uh, three and a half years now. So AdScam is a relatively old story, but it's the benchmark. And you had a situation there where, once again, uh, it's Quebec uh, and it's the so-called sponsorship scandal. And a lot of people made off with a lot of money, public money, uh, Canadian money, a lot of it, of course, Alberta money. That's the way that particular cookie crumbles. And we all know that nobody in Alberta uh, needs to be um, hectored, uh, lectured, prodded <laughs> on that. We we know how unfair that system is. But having said all of that, everything that happened in that scam, all the money and, and the rest of it, is nothing, nothing compared to this. This is, as they say in Texas, this is the big enchilada. But do you get the sense at all that it's changing opinions of this prime minister outside of our own echo chambers here in Alberta, where I think everybody outside of those fervent liberal supporters knew that they weren't going to win a seat here anyways? They've, uh, the, the PM has avoided this area like the plague, it seems. I mean, the, the, his recent tour across the country saw him go from Kamloops to Regina without a blink of an eye. Nobody said anything about, hey, you know, we couldn't come to Alberta and talk about the number of jobs we've lost here. Nothing of the sort. So you've got that cross-Canada listenership. Mm -hmm. I wonder, especially in out east, are you getting kind of rivaling um, ideas being thrown at you? Well, here's uh, one of the things, and I don't mean to sound uh, condescending about this. It's just that it, it, it's different. People mm -hmm. who travel around the world feel differently about many parts of the world than, than people who don't. Uh, people who travel or work in various parts of the country feel a little differently about the country than, than people who don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get everything. If you're living in one part of the world, you're, you're getting it all through the media. 
and I'm not here to do fake news. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly a, a fan of Trump, and I don't do Trump. So it's not about it's not about fake news. It's about uh, really not getting the feel of the ground uh, because you're only getting the the decision makers and the people who are doing business with the decision makers making most of the comments on on many of the news programs. Mm. So when you get away from all that and actually live with the folks, you notice something completely different. So right now the um, sort of uh, popular commentariat in most of the country is that we've got these two countries. We've got Quebec and the rest of Canada sometimes called the ROC. Well, on, some, on something like this, uh, they say the same thing, and it, it's getting kind of silly, because all you have to do is go on the web, and even, you know, with these days, it's no excuse. Even if you can't read French, you know, it's called Dr. Google, and Dr. Google is one of the great translators of all time. I was just going to say, Google Translator is my best friend. Yeah, and so <laughs> you just go on and then read La Presse, read uh, Le Journal, uh, read Le Devoir. I mean, I don't care what you read. Read any of the the TV or radio news sites, and you find out that, guess what? Jody Wilson-Raybould, despite that she's not exactly fluent in French and wasn't speaking in French yesterday, it didn't matter. Uh, the francophone eyeballs were highly impressed, and she came across as much more impressive than Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that uh, Trudeau is a, is, a, is a local son and all of that. Um, you know, people make this assumption that uh, because his name is Trudeau, uh, he automatically gets a free ride in, in every single township of, of Quebec. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way for his dad. And, and his dad was, was ten times more, I'll try to be generous here, more profound, okay? <laughs> I was going to uh, say than, refined than, even. Yeah, more refined, okay, than, than the son. I mean, the, you know, whether, whether you're speaking in, in French or English in this country, uh, the, the polite approach, and this is what Bill Wilson uh, used yesterday uh, on, on our program when he was on the father of Jody Wilson-Raybould. And, uh, of course, Bill Wilson did a lot of business and, yes, got into a lot of fistfights, if you will, rhetorical fistfights with, with Trudeau, but respected the hell out of him. And so Bill Wilson, uh, it's, it's said the same way in English and French, that uh, Justin Trudeau is, is blessed with his mom's looks. And that's kind of the, the polite uh, approach. So the point is, that's how they feel about him in Quebec as well. So the, the idea that they're all swept away by him is nonsense. And, and there, there's a, a macho thing going on in Quebec as well. There always will be. And it is not macho. It is not manly to beat up on the girl. It's seen as less than manly. Mm-hmm. And especially coming from what was perceived as being the feminist prime minister, the one who is going to stand up for equality and equity and everything else. And this uh, doesn't look good in terms of even the PR side. I'm going to rail on that in a little bit, but how is it possible that in your eyes that this prime minister either got really good advice on the PR side of it, the crisis planning side of it, and avoided it or continues to take the really bad crisis and PR advice? Because you can't possibly look at this and say any of it has been good over the last couple of weeks. You know, the liberals uh, once upon a time were terrific at issues uh, management. And mm-hmm. uh, they, I mean, Adscam notwithstanding, they'd get stuff tucked out of the way pretty quickly. Jean Chrétien <laughs> always used yeah. the same line. The RCMP is investigating. Next question. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's, that's how he handled a lot of things. But, uh, you know, as far as this is concerned, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, the conservatives, because they're the chief opponents, are, are running the show yeah. for the liberals, because the liberals are giving the conservatives a, a room service media victory every day. 
because the liberals continue saying the same thing every day, and they keep the issue going. I mean, I was laughing a couple hours ago. Uh, Gerald Butts is now, uh, has now sent a letter uh, to the Justice Committee. Yeah. He told them that he wants to testify. So now he wants to beat up on the girl in front of the committee. <laughs> and you're going to get the members of the committee who are liberals, and they get their orders from the PMO. I mean, I, I know Justin Trudeau says that, you know, they're independent, but, I mean, that's just that's just silly. It's, it's like... It's like calling oil lemons. No, oil is oil and lemons are lemons. But anyway, so the, the lemons on the committee, uh, and they do appear to be lemmings because they, as I say, take their orders uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the prime minister. We had a, a liberal in, in British Columbia today near Abbotsford, not terribly far from where I'm sitting right now. And he was saying that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is just really stressed out. And I, I, I just couldn't stop laughing when I heard him say that because... She was anything but stressed out under the hot lights yesterday for four hours. There were no oohs and ahs and no stumbles. They must have given her 14,000 opportunities to go for a bathroom break because they wanted to go for a bathroom (laughs) break. And she she said, no, folks, I'm sitting here. I'm staying here. And when we're done today, we're done. And if we have to do more, I'll I'll come back. But let's just get this thing over with. There's been quite a few people calling for for her to be maybe the next prime minister of this country based off of... Uh, what she was able to say yesterday. So I assume this will probably be maybe one of the topics that you touch upon this evening, Charles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be all over this. And one of our guests tonight, and I think I'll uh, uh, have him on right out of the shoot, is the former justice minister in the Harper government, uh, Peter McKay. Uh, so that'll be at uh, 805 uh, Mountain, 805 Sharp. Fantastic, Charles. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Hope all is well with you and yours. You bet, Joe. Thanks so much. Charles Adler uh, giving us a little bit of insight into what he thinks about what has been a crazy couple of days, and in particular yesterday. Holy moly. About a week ago, a little uh, news release came across my desk with the title, Alberta Men Show Increased Understanding of Gender Equity. Raises a few questions, so I'm bringing in uh, the executive director of the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, Jan Reimer, joining us now to talk a little bit more about this uh, report. Jan, thanks so much for the time today. Well, thanks for having me. Talk a little bit about this new research and, and what you took away most from it when it comes to men and their ability uh, abilities to identify that gender equity. Well, I think we're seeing a positive change uh, over time, which is great, uh, and uh and, as, and we're seeing that, um, you know, they're improving in certainly some areas more than others. So it also signals to us that uh, there's a little bit more work that we have to do. The line that says the survey shows 26% of men have a high gender equity score. What is that score? How do you, how do you come up with that number? Oh, well, that uh, score was developed, uh, I guess, uh, and it's actually used in several countries around the world. And it asks a man about their attitudes towards uh, women uh, in terms of, you know, educating daughters instead of sons, uh, should women be in politics, that type of thing. And from that, you get a score um, in terms of where they are in terms of gender equity. And then uh, we ask further questions uh, in our survey about violence against women and see how that links with the uh, uh, gender equity scores. Overall, how would you personify Alberta men? Uh, well, uh, there's, uh, they're in kind of the mid-range of the uh, gender equity scores, so we'd like to get them in the high range. Um, but as I say, there's been a gradual improvement, and uh, certainly, um, you know, that's a, you know, that's positive. Uh, and um, 
you know, and I, and I think that if we could just keep that uh, trending upward, uh, uh, you know, we're not expecting that uh, change is going to happen overnight. But uh, uh, as we move forward, I think it'll create um, you know healthier communities for everybody. Were there any numbers, and there was a, a long list of them, but were there any that really stuck out to you, whether they be by surprise or by uh, positive, it was just that positive or that reaffirming to what you guys have been working towards all along? Well, I think uh, I, the seriousness of situations in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, controlling a partner and harm, like uh, that is trending up, so that was a good thing to see. Um, and But at the same time, I think what was really surprising uh, uh, to me was that half of Alberta men believe uh, women could leave a violent relationship if they wanted to. And it really isn't that easy to leave. So we've got a lot of education uh, to do there around uh, shifting those attitudes. Uh, we know, for instance, that when women say they're leave or about to leave, that's when they're at the greatest risk of uh, being killed. Uh, we know when women leave uh, an abusive relationship, they end up a lot poorer. And we know for uh, women that are leaving an abusive relationship, it's also concern for their children and their, their children's well-being. Uh, so all of those make it very difficult uh, for uh, women to leave. It isn't so simple as just packing your bags and leaving. For those who are listening, who are going, well, yeah, I, I don't necessarily get that notion. Hey, you know, how, why is this so difficult? So what would be the main message to those men to kind of get that, that point across that, hey, this isn't uh, as easy as it's made out to be in your head? Well, if you think about it, how, who of us likes uh, change? Even think about moving yourself. Like, everybody loves moving day, right? Uh, so think about what it's like if you're scared for your safety and your well-being. You don't know where you're going to go. You know, it's a polar vortex out there. Um, you know, your kids love their dad. You're giving up all that financial support. It really, and it really, really isn't that easy. So it's just kind of to, to think about that and realize uh, the harm that can happen uh, uh, to women when they do leave. And we often uh, counsel women, you know, if you're going to leave, go quietly um, if you're in an abusive relationship uh, because what they think you're leaving, that's when, you know, the relationship is about power and control. Uh, so, um, you know, if, if the uh, abuser thinks he's losing control, it's going to be a lot more difficult for the woman. When you look at the numbers, is there any concern in your mind about some men maybe talking the talk but not walking the walk? They may say that they view this as a problem, but they're not necessarily uh, preaching when it comes to being actually at home. Well, I think uh, uh, men are, um, I, I don't know if I would say that at all, actually. I think generally um, men are, uh, you know, really looking towards seeing that change. They're saying, you know, it's really never acceptable for physical assault. I think the verbal abuse is another one where perhaps we could potentially do a bit more work. Um, but we also hear, you know, a high majority of men state that if a family member or a friend is a victim of domestic violence, they are likely to intervene. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a good motivation there. I think contrasting that slightly, though, uh, for men who have actually witnessed it um, and have seen that in our survey, 
uh, well, roughly two-thirds checked to see if the woman was okay or if she needed help, and a little over half said or did something to challenge the man's behavior. Uh, so some of the work that we do at Alberta Council of Women's Shelters and with our shelter partners uh, is to really look at... Um, you know, how to intervene, like what are the kinds of things that you can say, how can you make a difference in a way that's safe uh, uh, for that individual rather than just ignoring it. Because if we ignore it, we're actually, you know, giving a message that it's okay. And that's one of the challenges I think a lot of people do have is whether it's, you know, two people yelling at each other or, you know, even something simple like having a homeless person on the street is you don't want to intervene, you don't, you almost turn that blind eye. So what is the the best way of going about it for those who do come across that domestic abuse situation and you want to intervene, but you don't know if it's your place? Right. I think it's always, uh, you know, providing some uh, comfort to uh, the uh, woman who is, uh, uh, you know, is being assaulted or abused, uh, uh, letting her know that, uh, you know, that she that, uh, you know, you're there for her, that there are resources available uh, for men, you know, challenging other men. You know, if it's sexist comments, because that's kind of the base of it all, it's just saying, hey, that's not funny, or I don't think that's very funny, or, you know, just uh, making some comment along those lines. So there, and sometimes it's just making it awkward or changing the subject. Uh, We had a story of a young uh, football player who, talked about he took some of our leading change training and was uh, walking uh, down a back alley and you know saw um, something happening between a couple and he just stopped and said hey you know do you guys are you guys okay do you know what time it is you know and interrupted uh you know what was going on there and the, cu- the couple then just then left so he stopped uh, the incident. So I think there's just ways, you know, but that people feel comfortable about uh, that they can uh, make a difference when they know it's safe to do so. It's good to hear, Jan. I do appreciate the time and the insight into this uh, this latest research survey that you guys released uh, not too long ago. Yes, thank you very much for your interest. Jan Reimer, the executive director of the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, and a good point raised is very underreported is abuse against men. We'll dive into that one at some point. Maybe next week I'll try to uh, get a a guest on to talk about that because it is very underreported. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Online journalist Heidi Pearson joining us now. She's penned a great article on globalnews.ca about the upcoming provincial election and what's allowed for campaign finances. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. You're welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. A lot of new rules heading into the 2019 provincial election. And why don't we start with the big one, I think in my books anyways, is going to be the spending limits. And walk us through some of the rules on that front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are definitely uh, new rules for parties and for individual candidates uh, heading into the election. Um, And those rules do come into play only when the writ drops. So uh, the biggest one, um, I guess, would be for for political parties themselves. And so this year, heading into this election, they're actually capped at uh, $2 million of spending once the writ drops. So that's going to be a pretty big change. Um, And then for individual candidates, they are capped at uh, $50,000. Um, during their campaign for for any kind of spending. I think a lot of people, as soon as you start talking spending, they go, oh, well, you can use some third party and or you could use some union donations, perhaps. Are there new rules on that front? There are, yeah. So even even if they have the donations, they still can only spend um, that 
th- that two million or fifty thousand, but um, the donations can no longer come from corporations or from unions. That's another big change that uh, is facing parties and candidates this year. Um, those were actually banned. Um, a, cu- a couple of years ago, um, and so now those part are those um, corporations and unions actually have to register as a third party advertiser now. So um, they can still kind of get their message out for either a party that they support or an issue that they want to be made an election issue. Uh, for example, people might um, have seen billboards from the Alberta Teachers Association, mm-hmm. the sardine can uh, campaign, saying that you know students are packed into classrooms like sardines. Um, right. But they have to do so by registering with Elections Alberta as a third party, and they're also capped uh, when it comes to how much they can spend on getting their message out. Are there personal donation limits this time around? There are, yes. Uh, personal donations are also limited to $4,000, and that actually applies whether you're um, donating to a party, to a candidate, or both. So, say, for example, you want to donate $1,500 to a candidate, a specific candidate, then you only have $2,500 left to donate to a party, and that goes for the entire calendar year. So, that's something that um, people are going to want to keep an eye on if they're um, big into donating their personal money to uh, different candidates or parties they support. There has been a lot of talk, especially around the Jeff Calloway leadership race bid or leadership bid. But and I know that doesn't pertain to here, but a lot of questions have obviously been raised about penalties and uh, watching over these things and who's actually uh, going to uh, kind of police this. So do we know penalties? Do we know that aspect of things? Um, at this moment, penalties, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on, um, but I do know that Elections Alberta is, um, they're going to be in charge of, I guess, policing these new regulations, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually spoke with uh, political scientist Dwayne Bratt, who said that he um, is kind of questioning whether Elections Alberta is fully equipped to handle this because the rules are so new and they've never been introduced before they've never been enforced before and he kind of foresees um, that once the election is over we're going to see some parties and some candidates that have um, you know just broken some of the regulations and they're going to end up being fined Um, and the, the other important thing is about that is that we actually won't really see just how much of an impact these new regulations are going to have until maybe months after the election mm-hmm. because financial reporting from parties, candidates, and the third-party advertisers isn't actually due until four and six months after the election actually happens. Right, which begs that question again as to do you know what you're getting as you're going to the ballot boxes uh, come whenever the election is called. So uh, if you want more information on that, you can head to the global uh, globaltvcalgary.com for more, or I will post the link on my Twitter at Calgary today. Heidi, thanks so much for giving us a little bit more insight on what you wrote up on the website there. Thank you so much, Joe. As you heard in the news with Haley, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's former Principal Secretary, Gerald Butts, has asked to give his side of the story in the SNC-Lavalin affair. Now, Butts wrote the House of Commons Justice Committee today requesting he be called as a witness. His request comes just a day after that highly publicized former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony, where she faced uh, relentless pressure from Butts, the Prime Minister, and the Finance Department to help the engineering firm avoid criminal prosecution. Here's the question. 
if Mr. Butts is allowed to testify, will he go the route of, I'm going to go and back my best friend or longtime friend, Justin Trudeau, or will he jump ship? I've heard arguments on both sides here. Could get real interesting real quick if all of a sudden he turncoats and says, yeah, Justin made me do it. What also fascinated me yesterday watching a lot of what happened with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and then you watch the testimony of Michael Cohen down in the States. And like I said, right off the top of the show, what a time to be alive. There's a lot of mirror images happening in both countries right now, at least in my humble opinion. On that note, a lot of people have been talking about uh, what does this do to Justin Trudeau? What does this do to the liberals? How do they... uh, meander their way through the next few months and joining us now he's penned a really good article about this on globalnews.ca david aiken joins us now david thanks so much for the time yeah no problem happy to be here what does the last few days do to a prime minister's uh image to his brand in your eyes well his brand of course that he's tried to build up and has been pretty successful at it is that he's a feminist prime minister who's committed to reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. That's been a top priority for him. It's something he talks about a lot, being a feminist and and, uh, reconciliation. He talks about it a lot as he travels the country and travels around the world. And what is pretty evident from the testimony yesterday of Jody Wilson-Raybould, who is a member of First Nation in British Columbia, that this this feminist prime minister involved with reconciliation fired his indigenous female justice minister. Why? For a few votes in Quebec. Time and again, yesterday, Jody Wilson-Raybould testified that she was told by the prime minister himself, by his senior aides, and by others uh, in senior positions in the government, that she had to intervene in a criminal court case involving SNC-Lavalin because, quote, there is an election in Quebec. Liberals were trying to save votes, and this is how they saw a way to save votes, as having the Attorney General of Canada intervene in a criminal court case. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould says that's inappropriate, and as a result, I think, yes, Trudeau's brand takes a hit. If, if on the inappropriateness, of course, on the abuse of power, that would be bad enough, but then on the idea that he is a feminist and uh, supporting reconciliation. Hard to make that stick when you're throwing out a, a woman who happens to be the country's first Indigenous justice minister. The question then becomes, I mean, we're not that far away from a federal election campaign, so does this harm the Liberal Party's brand, and at what point do they say, listen, we've got to start getting the wheels in motion to either back this guy fully or think about replacing him in some way, shape, or form? I don't think it, we're going to come to that, but I think the Prime Minister, uh, likely, this is one of the sort of things emerging on this story now, is, is a potential caucus problem. The, the, Justin, every leader has a relationship with caucus that is different. Mm-hmm. Brian Mulroney, even though he was having a terrible time at the end of it, I mean, it's his poll numbers were in the low, single, the low double digits, even, even at those worst times, his caucus was completely united behind him because he spent a lot of time personally reaching out to each caucus member and making sure that they um, they felt they were listened to. And so his caucus was very loyal to him right up until the end. Stephen Harper even as well. Um, you know, there was a few people who grumbled about Stephen Harper's management style over 10 years, but those people found themselves out of caucus or they went some other way. But by and large, he spent time making sure that he understood what his caucus was about. Justin Trudeau is a little bit different. There's, there's a group of 
sort of close Trudeau confidants in caucus. Some of his good friends from his Montreal days are in caucus. But there's many caucus members who feel like the center, uh, Trudeau, etc., um, has not spent a lot of time talking to them and understanding what is motivating them. And so as a result of this whole situation where a liberal MP, I mean, Jody Wilson-Raybould's a liberal MP, mm-hmm. where a liberal MP is sort of, uh, uh, in her testimony, is doing some damage to his brand, um, there are some in caucus who are sympathetic to Jody Wilson-Raybould's complaint here. There are some who not. We, we saw some reaction today from some liberal MPs in the Hill um, who were uh, thinking she's grandstanding a bit. Uh, one, one liberal MP from uh, Abbotsford, from the Abbotsford area, I should say, uh, from Mission Matsui, Fraser Canyon, a guy named Jati Sidhu, uh, he told a reporter from his hometown paper that uh, wondered if somebody was pulling strings, wondered if it was her dad. And, she, and he suggested that uh, she couldn't handle the stress bit of a sexist thing to say, if you ask me. And in fact, just before we came on, on air, uh, Jaddy Sidhu has had to apologize in the House of Commons for this. But, but, but I just point that out to say, even though he's apologized, there is some of this thinking in caucus that uh, she was a bit much, and then there's others who think uh, are quite sympathetic. So this is a problem that Trudeau's going to have to deal with um, as we get into the election. Caucus unity is going to be important when it comes to fundraising, volunteers, all those things you need to have an election. If people are feeling a bit down on the brand, that's how it will manifest itself. And in the meanwhile, the Conservatives and the NDP seem quite pumped up about it, and mm-hmm. it could really help animate their volunteers and their fundraising. Absolutely. David Aiken joining us on the program. We will. I've got a couple more questions. Hang on the line, David. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Global's David Aiken joining us on the program as we continue this discussion around Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the SNC-Lavalin debacle. And David, the one thing that you, you hinted at as we went to break there is how the Conservatives and the NDP are going to be galvanized on this. And when you look at it from a regional standpoint... I mean, it, it, a lot of what's going to happen come October is going to lead to a really interesting trickle-down effect for each area of the country. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I, I, I certainly there are a lot more seats uh, that are up for grabs in play in the you know, Ontario, Quebec, and, and British Columbia. That said, as I say, every... Like, let's take Atlanta, Canada, where the Liberals swept, I think there's, what, 33 seats or something like that? Not a whole lot of seats, but they're not going to sweep, and they weren't going to sweep. I mean, it's just hard to sweep. Um, you know, the, the, the Conservatives are going to pick up a few seats there. So the, the Liberals were thinking, where do we find some of these little drips and drabs we lose? Or, sorry, the Liberals are thinking, where do we find these drips and drabs we lose? And the Liberals are thinking they're going to eat the NDP lunch in, in Quebec, and I still think they will. There's still some NDP seats there that are just going to disappear. Jagmeet Singh just not yeah. connecting with uh, Quebecers. But then, as we go across the West, the Liberals are feeling very good about, for example, winning northern Saskatchewan. That's a seat held by a New Democrat right now. They, the Liberals think they can take Nikki Ashton, the New Democrat, in northern Manitoba. So there's a couple of ads for the Liberals. Yes, then we get to Alberta, where the, the, the Liberals won four seats in 2015, of course, uh, Darshan Kang is, uh, you know, was kicked out of the caucus mm-hmm. in Calgary. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the Conservatives think they're going to take Calgary Centre away from Ken Hare. Of course, he got demoted from from cabinet, yeah. and he hasn't been a, a top performer. And then up in Edmonton, you know, Amarjeet Sohi in, uh, uh, I think he's he only won. I think he won by the narrowest margin ever. Mm-hmm. I think he knows he's going to lose to a Conservative. And then we've got Randy Boissonneau in Edmonton Centre. Randy Boissonneau has been one of the Liberal MPs leading the charge, attacking Jody Wilson Raybould. Yeah. In, in this, and I can't see the progressive voter in downtown Edmonton, Edmonton Center, thinking that they're really happy about this. 
Now, Edmonton Center, the last, the last, of course, it used to be conservative. So I think the conservatives think they can pick that up. And then the interesting seat will be Edmonton Strathcona, which is held by the New Democrats right now, Linda Duncan. That's where the University of Alberta is. Um, can the NDP hold that with no Linda Duncan there? Um, or could the Liberals come scooping in? So I think in Alberta, there's going to be, yeah, a couple of seats in Calgary, three maybe are going to be in play in Edmonton. They're going to be fought over. Conservatives want to sweep that because that's five seats they can yeah. pick up. And that that's going to be really important uh, to try and make sure that they definitely can't let them fall back into liberal hands or even NDP hands. They have to take those five seats. So they're going to be fighting for Alberta. It's going to be a fascinating ride for brands over the next little while to see how this all develops. David, I appreciate the time and the insight into your, uh, your article, which I'll post up on uh, at Calgary today on Twitter. That's great. No problem. I've kind of alluded to it in the last couple of days here, and, and I keep saying, oh, what a time to be alive. But it, And it's, it, it's exciting to see democracy at work. And it's, but there's also a couple of frightening aspects to this, right? One is these are supposed to be leaders in our communities, leaders in our provinces, in our countries, in our world. And whether it's what's going on in the U.S. or whether it's what's happening here in Canada, it's the parallels are not lost on me in terms of just the lack of trust that politicians have. And granted, I think that lack of trust has sort of always been bubbling, but they've done themselves zero favors. I've said it a couple of times within my social circles, and I'll say it here on the air. As weird as it sounds, I do believe Donald Trump is going to make America great again, just not in the way that he foresees it as such. I think history will be the greatest indicator of this. I think at some point we as a society will go, let's not do that again. Let's not be as divided as we are now. Let's not pit economy versus basic human decency as an example. I think we can be better. I think we'll get there. Just going to take a while. Because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. It sure is really hard to have faith in any kind of leadership right now, isn't it? It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Let's head on up the highway to Red Deer and for our daily check-in on the Canada Games 2019. So far, 29 gold, 32 silver, 25 bronze for a total of 86 medals so far for Alberta. Good enough for third behind Quebec and Ontario. And that gold uh, haul was added to yesterday thanks to a young gent by the name of Austin Bauer, who is a badminton player out of the Glencoe Club here in Calgary. And he picked up not one, but two gold medals yesterday. And Austin now joins us on the program. Hey, thanks so much for the time today. Pleasure to be here. What's it like having two medals around your neck of the gold variety uh, just a, you know less than 24 hours after winning them both? Yeah, well, it's awesome. Like, I, I've trained my whole life for this moment. Uh, I was actually at the Canada Games four years ago, and I, I won a silver in Prince George. So to get two medals here in, in Red Deer and in, in my home province as well, it's definitely a huge, huge honor and something I've worked my whole life towards. We're, we'll touch on that in a second, but I do want to know, you did this all in the span of a couple of, a couple of hours. Walk us through that. Like, is there ever a point where you're kind of thinking, man, I'm going to be gassed because I got to do two of these matches in the course of, you know, a couple of hours, two, three hours? 
Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're long matches and they're against really really tough opponents, obviously. And badminton is is quite physical at a high level, which some people don't don't fully understand. But mm-hmm. when you're playing against this caliber of competition, it is it is really tough on your body. So when you play in two of those matches, it's it's really challenging. So yeah, you definitely after you, after I finished my first match, I really had to had to focus up and have some have some snacks and stretch and everything and then get right back out there for the for the second one. Do you sort of train that way knowing that you may end up facing that situation where you're basically going back to back in uh, a championship setting like you did? Yeah, well, uh, most of the tournaments we play actually we play three events most of us, so okay. there's singles, men's doubles and mixed. So at a lot of the national tournaments, uh, many people do play three events, two to three events, so we're kind of used to playing a lot of back-to-back games, so that's uh, yeah, it's definitely something I'm used to and I train a lot for. When you walked into the Canada Games, did you have that expectation of I'm going to go in there and I'm going to win a couple of golds, or were you looking for just being on the podium, or what was your expectation walking into the games in Red Deer? Yeah, uh, definitely for men's doubles. I'm I'm actually a doubles player, uh, so I I thought I had a really good chance at at winning doubles. I have a really strong uh, partner with me as well, so. Uh, yeah, definitely thought we had a good shot at that. But mixed doubles, I thought was going to be really challenging, and we we had some three game matches. Uh, and mixed doubles are are quite long, long rallies, extremely physical. So I, I didn't know how those would end up, but we we pulled it out. So yeah, super happy about that. Rank this one in terms of your overall achievements to this point. Is this right up there? Because I mean, I know you've got a a Pan Am Championship, you have a Canadian National Championship appearance as well. Like you you've got a pretty lengthy resume already in the sport. Yeah, well, I, I think Canada Games is a totally unique atmosphere to those competitions as well because being a multi-sport games, you get to be around all the other different athletes and you get you get all those other different athletes cheering you on as well. So that, that really hypes you up and gets you going as well and makes you want to win that much more uh, for all the other athletes there and for, for Alberta as well being at home here. I was going to mention that. Is What's it like being the, the hometown crowd favorite in that aspect? And, yeah. and knowing that, it, did you put any added, added pressure on yourself even to perform at that best level because you knew you had that crowd behind you? Yeah, well, well, definitely. There's there's a big turnout here in, in the in the Bamson venue here. There's lots of people cheering for Alberta. So I think many of them haven't seen Bamson at a high level. So, yeah, it's just awesome to be one of the, the home the hometown favorites here and give give everybody something to cheer for. You mentioned the fact that it's not necessarily the, the big sport or anything like that, so I'm curious how does a kid from Calgary who you'd think in theory would be drawn to a to a hockey rink or a football field, how do yeah. you get into badminton? Yeah, well my, my mom was actually a, uh, a badminton player and she was a multi-time national champion and she played at the Canada Games and in 1991 and she actually won a gold medal for Ontario uh she's from Ontario so she got me into it at a young age when I was five or six and ever since then I've just loved it and stuck with it and it it was always the sport I was the best at I played all sorts of different sports hockey and basketball uh soccer but I I I just was always drawn to badminton just because of the speed of it and it's it's extremely physical and mentally mentally challenging and I I just loved it that is uh fantastic to hear who serves as an inspiration for you my parents, just definitely for sure. Like they're they're the ones who got me into badminton. They've been supporting me since day one. They've been paying for all my traveling. Like I, badminton isn't a sport that gets a ton of funding in in Canada or mm. in most countries in the world. So they've been there every step of the way and supported me in in athletics and badminton. So they've definitely been the ones who like really inspired me to be where I am today. What uh, what does it mean to you to be able to say that you're the best in Canada right now? 
Yeah, well, it's, again, something I've, I've worked for my entire life. It, it doesn't come easy. There's a lot of hours spent on the badminton courts, a lot of early mornings and late nights and, and tough losses and all that. But just to, yeah, to win two golds here, that's, that's just an incredible feeling, and it just shows all the hard work pays off. And, yeah, never give up on, on your goals, that's for sure. Well, I know you've got a, a big match coming up this evening for another medal, so hopefully you get another one and we may be able to talk to you again or at least uh, maybe get maybe we'll have you stop in and show off some of the medals at some point. Uh, that'd be that'd, fantastic. That'd be awesome. So, uh, Austin, that, yeah. Austin, appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time and uh, all the best at, uh, at the Canada Games. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.